the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Jesus and the disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took the little, a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Question for you. Yeah. What does it mean to be a child? If you had to describe a child, how would you describe that? Yeah. Describe a child, they would run around being wild. Okay, so a little bit of wildness. <laughs> so far. Yeah. Um, um, get, to, get to relax. Get to relax. Okay. Yeah. Not knowing how to do things. Yep. Yeah. So you don't quite know everything, right? Um, yep. Um, go to school. Go to school. And that's because you don't know things, right? It's to learn, right? Okay. Are children old? No. So, Are you crazy? Yeah. Typically young, right? Typically young. Yeah, like zero years old. Can children do everything they need to do by themselves? No. No. Okay. Some some feel like they can. Not everybody. Oftentimes they still need help. Today, in the story Jesus well, Jesus shows us that we're supposed to treat each other like we're children. Now, among yourselves, it's probably pretty easy, but how, what does it mean for me to be a child? And what does it mean for your mom and your dad to be a child? Amanda? Yeah, they're still learning. They still need help. What else? Yeah. Um, children can do computers or stuff. Yeah. They, they, they still have someone taking care of them. 
They still have someone helping. They still have someone taking care of them. Anthony. That's true. We are each children of God. We are each someone that God takes care of, someone that God loves, someone who doesn't know everything, who can't do everything by ourselves. And that's true if we're the oldest person in this room, if we're the youngest person in this room, and everywhere in between. We all need help. God calls us children, and God tells us to care for one another like we're children. So, this week, I want you to imagine that your parents still need help. Because they do. I want you to imagine that your brothers and your sisters still need help. Because they do. I want you to imagine that your classmates and your friends still need help because they do. I want you to imagine what it would be like, and I want you to practice what it would be like to help. Help them with what they need. Help them with what they struggle with. Help them know that they're loved and they're children just like we are. We are all children. We all need help. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Try your best to practice it, okay? Um, yeah, they, they, they need help to do, do, do it. Should we say a prayer? Si. Let us pray. God of grace, you call us all children, and you call us all your children. Thank you for being a God that takes care of us, and help us to take care of one another. Thank you for your love. Help us to love one another. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to forgive one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. In seminary, you come across some books. You come across a lot of books, actually. And they're all on different topics and all on different things. But I started to notice that there were a lot of really thick books about communion, about the Eucharist, about the Lord's Supper. I started to wonder why the books were so thick. Now there's a part of me that already knew that most theologians can, st- can write for a really long time on just about any topic. But most theologians also try to trim down their words so that they're using what they need and not necessarily all the words that are available to them. Why would a book be so thick on communion? I mean, how hard is it, right? You come to the center aisle, you come forward, you receive the body and the bread, you receive the blood and the wine, and you go back to your seats. Communion. But there's more to it than that. And we know that. 
a lot of these books, at least the handful of them that I read, they start not with the practice of communion, the practice of the supper, but they start by describing what it's like to be in communion with others, to be in community with others. Even more than that, to look at God, Trinity, and to look at what communion looks like from that perspective. Father, Son, and Spirit, never separated nor divided, yet always distinct. They would look at Trinity in terms of family, Father, Son, and Spirit, and they would look at Trinity in terms of dwelling with one another in a way of knowing oneself and different parts in a way that's deep and intimate. And they would point us the readers, to these things as a means of understanding what communion with one another should look like. To know one another deeply and fully. To dwell with one another consistently. I believe today's text, while it never mentions bread or wine, and it only loosely mentions body and blood, I believe today's text is about communion. Today's text begins with this body and blood. It begins with Jesus declaring to his disciples in a small and intimate group that he was indeed going to be killed and in three days risen. And even after this teaching, and as they continue walking and traveling to Capernaum, the disciples either don't get it or don't care. They're kind of distant from this relationship of the Father and the Son. They're distant from this relationship that's happening. They're distant from this communion. And they're talking about with one another, who's the greatest? I imagine you've had stories like this, haven't you? Stories that just try to one-up the next story, one after another after another. I mean, this in and of itself is a little bit meaningless, so they might as well have been talking about anything. Importance is not found in what they were talking about. They could have been talking about who is better, Terry Bradshaw or Ben Roethlisberger, and it would have been the same story. By the way, I think Roethlisberger, but... Jesus wants to call them back. And not just call them back to think correctly about this particular issue. Jesus calls them back into communion. Into dwelling with each other, with God present in Jesus. Dwelling with children. Each child of God that's around them. We our children. Sometimes we don't like thinking about ourselves that way. But we always call each other children of God. Brothers and sisters. We are never called adults in God. We are never called full-fledged independent, you know, members of the community in God. We are always children of God. 
And a child has a communion with its parent at the best of times in a way that's really similar to the Trinity. Think of the good parent when the child gets home from school. How was school today? Fine. Walks on into the room. I was that child. My brothers were those children. You don't say much. But the parent listens. The parent listens to the words that can be spoken by the child, and the parent listens to the words that the child can't figure out how to say yet, and the parent listens to the mood of the child and the actions of the child and everything about this child to the point where the parent can tell what's going on with this child, or at least take a guess whether this child has spoken or not. And does not God do the same? God listens to us, listens to the sighs and groans of our hearts, listens to the things that we do and the things that we don't, listens to the words that we can figure out how to say and the words that we cannot figure out how to say. And God knows us in an instant how we are and who we are. A good parent knows how to bring a change into an instant. A good parent knows how to take a child that's suffering, knows how to take a child that's not just who they want to be in that moment. Sad, happy, angry, mad, whatever. Hungry. And knows how to try to get them to the right place. Now that doesn't mean that the child's immediately happy. In fact, it rarely does. But that does mean that the parent is moving towards them in that moment. The parent is trying to be what the child needs them to be in that moment. Sometimes close, sometimes far away. And does not God do this? Is not God in Christ Jesus the one who came into the upper room when the disciples were afraid and scared and said, Peace. Is not God the one that answers our prayers, the sighs and groans of our hearts? And the one who simply dwells with us is not God Emmanuel, God with us. A good parent. A good parent never really hangs that up. Children move on, children go. But a good parent still thinks and still prays and still hopes. Even when the child isn't turning out the way that they imagined. Even when the child isn't becoming the dream that they thought they would. The parent's still there. Far away if need be. Close beside when they can be. Does not God do this? When we are not turning out the way that we were imagined into being, when we're not turning out the way that we think we ought to be, when we don't look like the vision of God in Christ Jesus that is in and woven through each one of us, God is still there. Close and far away, all at the same time.
Life in this text is about communing with one another and with God. The same way that a good parent communes with a child. What will it look like this week for you to listen so deeply and intently that you have come to know your neighbors as a good parent would a child? What would it look like this week for you to bring words of peace so succinctly and directly that they change and alter the atmosphere around you? What would it look like for you to have steadfastness this week and this month and this year and this lifetime with those around your community, your communion, in a way that they know that your presence is assured? What would it look like for us to be people of communion? It would look quite Christ-like. This day, week, month, this lifetime, I invite you, Christ invites you to dwell with one another, to be with one another. This isn't a calling to the next best ministry. This is a calling to the way that we live life, a calling to listening and to speaking and to dwelling, a call to communion. God be with you and speak these words and hear these words that you need. God be with you as you dwell with one another. May God be with us in communion. Amen.